You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Today's text is Hebrews 4, and we're going to be looking at 1 through 13. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Hebrews 4, we'll be looking at those verses. Now today, today's passage is continuing, um, really last week's discussion uh, of faith or, or lack thereof. Uh, but um, it comes up a little bit differently uh, today, right? The way that he brings up this topic of faith or, or unbelief is through the topic of rest. Now, I, I never thought much about rest, uh, honestly, uh, until I was a parent. You know, I don't even have to continue, right? You know exactly what I mean, right? It was only then, right, that I realized all the rest that had been at my fingertips, right? All the le- rest that I had let go, and, and, and I, realized, I realized that it's forever gone. I'll never get it back, and I'll never rest the same again. I realized it was probably when, when Maddox was born and Claire was two that, oh man, I remember, I thought I was going crazy, truly. Uh, and, and I wanted all, I mean, I wanted to rest so Badly, And it wasn't just me who wanted rest. Like, I wanted rest for me and for my wife, but I wanted rest for, I wanted my kids to rest, right? It, preferably at the same time. That would have been wonderful. At the same time, we all just rest. Sleep a little, but that's not how it worked out. They refused to sleep for several years, I think. It was, some time went by, and, and after a couple of years of not sleeping, I had to sit them down and we had to have a conversation. I said, listen, sleeping is a good thing for you, right? It's it's good for your body. It's good for your mind. It's good for your soul. You need to rest. Now, Maddox was always worried about sleeping because of all the scary what ifs, right? He was that kid. Uh, He would say, I can't, I can't rest. Dad, what what if, Daddy, what if someone breaks through the window? I said, well, I'll wake up, but what if you don't? What if you don't wake up? Well, mommy will wake up. What if mommy doesn't wake up? Well, the dog will hear them then. The dog will bark, and that will wake us up. And eventually, it would get crazy, right? It would get crazy. He would say, well, what if this is a master spy who's breaking in? And he brings a ladder, and he puts it up against our house, and he has one of those things where they cut the glass out, and pop, out the hole, and he slithers in. What then? And I'm like, What? Can we pause? Why is a master spy trying to get into our home? He says, Dad, I have some really good Pokemon cards. <laughs> like, fair. Let's get rid of those then. Now, my daughter, she had a different reason for not resting. Um, she would say to me, Dad, sleeping makes me feel like the B word. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm lost and a little concerned by that statement. Now, and why would a child in my home say that resting makes her feel like the B word? Well, it's because the B word in the Berry house is bored. That's what it is. It's okay. It's just bored. And we're not allowed to say we're bored, right? If they do, I'll put them to work or mom will give them the lecture that starts with only boring people get bored and then they have to hear it. Now, the problem is only if it were children who struggled with the concept of rest. Only if it were them. But sadly, they learn it all too well from the parents and from the grown-ups in their lives that teach them never to rest. That they constantly have to be going. 
grown-ups who look at their heavenly father who tells them to rest. And we refuse because we're too anxious of the what-ifs or because sleep doesn't feel all that productive. Now, I love this topic, and I could go on for hours talking about rest, putting you all probably in a very restful state. But I won't do that. We're going to look at this passage today, and I think it's beautiful. But here are the points. Uh, failure to rest, an invitation to rest, and a strive to rest. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can come to your throne of grace. And Lord, there we can find rest. Lord, I pray that today we can be a people who can set aside everything else and focus on your word and that you would would cause it to reveal sin in our lives, to reveal we're not trusting you, our unbelief, that we may repent of it. God, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So our first point is failure to rest. Uh, Last week, right, the topic was the great disobedience that the people of Israel refused to obey and trust in God's provision while in the wilderness. Now understand something. The writer brings up the Old Testament, Israel in the wilderness, not simply for a theological purpose. Though there is one there, but as an object lesson, he hopes that when we see these faithless wanderers, that we'll see people that came before us who failed to rest. It's the idea of learning from other people's mistakes, learning from your family history. And last week, the passage ended with this. Verse 19 of chapter 3. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This promise land, this promise of rest. Right? They did not get to enter rest because of their unbelief. But weren't they justified a little? Right? I mean, like, a lot was going on in that desert that makes it a little, like, a little sympathetic towards them. If, if, if they lived, no doubt, in the 21st century, right, if they lived with us today, they no doubt would defend themselves, right? They would be like, uh, you don't understand my situation. You don't know me. You don't know me. You have the right to judge. Saying my actions were unbelief. You know how we do it. We want a pardon from our crimes because of the complexity of our context. Their failure was not because their situation was too difficult or that it was too unique, though it was both, right? Being stranded in a desert for 40 years after being enslaved by the Egyptians, that's pretty unique and difficult. Not many can relate to that. But our inability to rest is not because we're unable to find someone who can sympathize with our struggle. Our inability to rest is due to un belief. Simple as that. That's what the Lord says about them, and that's true for you. Now, you might find this unfair, right, to call these people in the wilderness a people who didn't believe, right? If I showed you a people who wandered for 40 years in a desert doing some pretty weird religious stuff, right, 
you would strive to keep really strict rules and laws, you'd say, this is a crazy cult of committed people. You would not doubt their belief. They're radicals. But these religious actions, does not, they did not equate to real faith. They did stuff. But in their hearts, there's no real belief. No real trust. Because look at their hearts. In Numbers 14, it says, The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That sounds like someone who's not resting in the promise of the Lord, right? Now look at the passage, right? It's clear. They were unable to rest because they do not believe. Their unbelief has caused them to question God's goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his power. So much that they would rather go back to Egypt. Think of that. Now we might scoff at such a people, but what do we do when we rebel? When you choose sin, when I choose sin, what do we do when our fear of a situation causes us to sin? When our anxiety over the unknown leads us to doubt? Or when our lack of self-control pushes us into disobedience, embracing wickedness? At this point, are we not them? Are we not living like the faithless in the wilderness? Who says it's better for me to embrace my enslavement than the peace and Sabbath of God? Now hear what God thinks of that. Numbers 14, same chapter. After they decide, they'd rather choose enslavement than freedom. Says that the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. Despite seeing God's work over and over again, they deny him. Over and over again. Now, before I converted my, uh, my stepsisters and some of their friends, they were very diligent in sharing the gospel to me. And I, and I was somewhat combative with them, playfully combative. I wasn't mean, I wasn't cruel. Uh, but I would, uh, th- I remember them telling me that uh, there's a God who wants to know you and wants you to know him. And I remember mockingly saying to them, all right, well, does he know how to work at email? Right? Can he like just zoop, send me something? A mess- write a letter, maybe even. Like, like he can just do something in the sky. Show me a sign, like a little sign that says, hey, man, I'm here. Like something. Give me something. But would I have would believed? Had he done so? How about this? When, when Christ came and showed signs and wonders, did everybody believe? No. They killed him. When, in, when he showed these people in the wilderness signs and wonders again and again, did they all believe him? No. They wanted to return to their slavery. Unbelief is not overcome by signs. 
Right? The sinful heart distorts signs and blinds us from truth. It whispers lies. It's not God who fails to present a strong enough case for his existence or his reliability. Our failure to rest does not belong on the Lord. Not one bit. It's rooted in a greater problem, right? It's our unbelief. And let's look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And the offer of rest is extended to you and I, just as it was to them. And this land promise given to the Jews was simply a shadow, a type and a shadow of something greater to come, a greater rest to be had. And he says, if you miss it, if you miss it, just like they should fear the Lord, so should you. Because there will be a day where the Lord says, your unbelief disqualifies you from entering my rest. Depart from me. I never knew you. Like those in the wilderness who lacked faith. A rest is not what awaited them. Rather, it was true death. It is healthy for you to take time and search your heart and ask if you truly rest in the gospel. Or are you resting in your own works, in your own religiosity? Or are you really hoping you being a good person does something? Sometimes, our failure to rest is because we just don't understand even what a, what a rest means, right? right so oftentimes, uh, if, if you've ever been in counseling with me, right, you know what I, I always ask, do you Sabbath? And a lot of people go, I don't, I don't even know what that means, to be quite honest with you. What's that? What's a rest? What's that look like? Some of us think a holy rest is like staring at the Bible, like the most lame thing. You just sit and lock yourself in a prayer closet, and you just sit there for hours, right? And that's how we think of a holy rest. That, that sounds burdensome. That sounds exhausting, but the people back then, they struggled to understand what this idea of rest meant as well. Verse 8, right, in chapter 4, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Now, understand, I want to put this in context, because the writer is assuming you understand something. Because he just brings up Joshua, and you might be going, like, why did you bring up Joshua? Where did Joshua come from? We're talking about Moses, his people in the wilderness, and now you bring up Joshua. So if you don't understand I'm going to give you a very quick glimpse of Exodus wilderness, very easy way to look at it. The reason he brings up Joshua is because that's who takes over from Moses, right? Moses um, was leading an older generation in the wilderness, right? You all know that. He's leading them in the wilderness to the promised land. They were getting older. We'll call them old fogies, right? He's leading the old fogies through the wilderness, and they didn't, that's not, no offense, older people, right? No offense. That's not you. Uh, and so he's leading them through the wilderness, and they didn't believe. And so they didn't get the interest. Now, the young stallions, the younger generation, they did believe. And they were being led by the chief young stallion, Joshua, who Moses handed the torch to, and he leads them into the promised land. Now, 
They moved into this promised land and they received the promised to them. Now, I may ruffle some feathers for some Theo nerds. Uh, that's okay. Just, you can yell at me later if you don't like what I say. Uh, now, the, 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 the land promised to Israel was fulfilled. All of the land promised to Israel was fulfilled then in Joshua. And I know this because God says so. It says in 21, 43 through 45, it says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that God had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Meaning all the land promises that God gave Israel, they got them. That was the rest that they were looking for. And what the writer saying here is, but that's not the end. That's not the end of rest. There is a greater rest to come. There is a rest now that points you forward to a rest to come. Church, your salvation, when the day you got saved, that's not the end of a rest. You should be resting daily and there's a greater rest to come for you. I don't want you to miss that point because it's the beginning of an invitation of understanding a Sabbath. Understanding something God commands every Christian that's ever lived to do that oftentimes we neglect the Sabbath. So let's look at the invitation to rest. Hebrews 2, it's our second point, by the way, if you're taking notes. Hebrews 4, 2 through 3, it says, For good news came to just us as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. First off, you didn't stumble across the message of the gospel, right? God, by his grace and mercy, commissioned other people to deliver the good news to you. Some hear it, some reject it, just as they did in the day of Moses. Because their hearts were hardened, they, they never saw it, they never knew it. Because of their unbelief, the reality of rest always seemed to be fleeting. But the day the good news reached your ears and buried itself in your heart, there was an invitation straight from heaven, an invitation to rest. A divine message that tells you that you are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. Thus you do nothing to earn God's favor. That the, the wrath of the Father has been satisfied. That it is finished. That your redemption has been purchased. And that my hope rests completely in the work of another. That is the invitation to rest. And our rest is completely rooted in Jesus Christ. But here's what I love. The invitation to rest did not appear with the incarnation. That is when Christ became man. Scripture says that it was there from the beginning. Before any land promise, 
that the invitation to rest has always been there. Hebrews 4, 3 through 4, it says, Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, he, was, he, ha, he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Notice again, the writer of Hebrews does this thing where he has somewhere in the Bible. Now this, he's being a bit sarcastic, right? It was, it, this is in the creation account. Everyone knows the creation account. If I said to you, show me where God started creating, almost anybody could get me there. You just open it up. Now he's quoting Genesis 2.2, that is the seventh day. Now what he's doing is he's linking the promise that you have to rest to the seventh day of creation. He's saying it's imitation. It's written in the cosmos. Right? It's drawing our mind to the creation account for a reason. And something I want you to think about, you all know the creation account, maybe not by heart, but you know the big parts probably. Right? Each day there was morning and then there was what? Evening. Morning, evening. Except for one day. That was the seventh day. The day of rest. The sun never set on the day of rest. It still exists. The invitation to rest beckoning you to enter it, to participate in it. When God rested, listen to me, when God rested, he wasn't just setting a really good example for you. He was not setting an example for you. When God rested, he's showing us that all was made. All that was going to come to pass was going to be. He set up everything. God's work was done. His plan was set. And if this omniscient, all-powerful God can rest, how can we not? If the one who's in control of everything says, I'm fine, I'm not nervous, I'm not scared, then why are we? Why do we fret? Why can't we rest? Let me make you the argument, the right of Hebrews, it's because of unbelief. That's why. You don't believe it. Hebrews 4.9 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, the writer went from connecting the concept of rest to creation. Now he's connecting it to the law by bringing up the Sabbath, right? A commandment in Scripture. Now, liturgy, I'm, gonna, this is a, I'm about to use, warning, warning, I'm about to use uh, Christianese, a churchy word. Um, if you don't know what it means, I just want to explain it. I, I don't know your, your background. But the term liturgy is kind of a fancy word, and it simply means, it's like uh, the way usually it's referred to is the way a church service flows, right? Uh, here at New Heights, we start off with two songs. Uh, we do a welcome. We do another song. Uh, there's fellowship and then someone speaks, and then we do another song, right? Like, there's a typical flow, and we change it up so often, but that's usually what liturgy deals with. It's how a service flows uh, from beginning to end. But liturgy isn't just a service. 
Creation has a liturgy. Every day, the sun rises and the sun sets over and over again. Your, your life has a liturgy. You wake up. I hope you brush your teeth. You get dressed and do things, right? Not bums. You, you live your life. And I'm assuming you have a, a, a normative schedule to how you do things. You get up, you uh, drink coffee, brush your teeth, maybe the other order. I don't know, whatever you do. Uh, you drive to work, drop your kids off, right? And eat dinner a certain time. Probably pretty much looks the same day after day. You have a personal liturgy. And I bring that up because of this. The law of God dictates, doesn't suggest, it doesn't say, hey, you know what would be good for you? It mandates, it mandates how a Christian's personal liturgy, uh, what it should include. Part of that liturgy, right, is congregating weekly, coming together, worshiping with one another, encouraging one another, singing with one another, serving Maybe in your week you're meeting with one another, discipling. That should be part of your liturgy. And if it's not, that needs to be addressed. Part of your liturgy might be working and fulfilling your roles in your, in your household, being the men and the women and the children that God has called you to be. And if that part of your liturgy is not being fulfilled, well, that needs to be addressed. But part of your personal liturgy that God commands for you is to rest. God commands it of you to rest. And if that's something that your personal liturgy does not include, then guess what? It needs to be addressed. It must be. Just as if my children really weren't sleeping, I would say to them, no, you have to sleep for your own good because I love you. The Lord says to you, Children, you have to rest. You have to rest. You need it. I always tell my kids, if you didn't rest, eventually you die. Right? If you don't sleep, that's what happens. Spiritually, it's not any different. You will go spiritually bankrupt if you don't rest. Or you'll find yourself resting in all the wrong things. This isn't optional. I find it odd, personally, that many Christians, right, we love the Ten Commandments, as we should, right? And we want to hang them everywhere, right? Let's put them in courthouses and schools, you know, dentist office, drive throughs just, just hang them everywhere so people know the law of God. But if it doesn't weigh on our heart, and if there's not a desire to seek these things, then this is just a fashion statement. This is just a, a political statement rather than, than a pious endeavor to seek holiness. Imagine if I said to you, for a minute, let's play a game. Imagine if I said to you, yeah, I love those Ten Commandments. I want to hang them everywhere. And you said, all right, what about that first commandment? No other gods but me. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's a difficult one. It doesn't really work with my schedule. And, you know, doesn't really fit with what I do. You understand in that second commandment, right? No idols. Yeah, I kind of have to right now. My job kind of commands or demands it. I need to frolic into my idolatry. So for my job's sake, I kind of have to say no to that one. Sorry. All right, what about the third one, right? Keep my name holy. Eh, 
it's kind of fun to do that, not do that, right? I get, you know, use the Lord's name in vain, y'all loosely. Like, that sounds, it's fun. I enjoy doing it. Never mind, like, if I said, no, I kind of like the murder steal and covet every morning, right? You would look at me and say, something's wrong with you. What's wrong with this picture? But why is it? Why is it when we get to commandment number four, to Sabbath, to rest, we make all the excuses and we're just fine with it. And I'm busy. Work, sports, name it. I don't have time for that. Why? Is that acceptable? Why do we treat that one like an option? The Sabbath must be part of your weekly routine. Just as much as sleep is part of your daily routine. The Lord, you know why the Lord programmed you to have to sleep? To remind you that you need to rest. God could have made you without sleeping. You could, a little battery, plug in the back, and you could just go on and on. But he gave you the need to sleep. To remind you daily that you have to rest. That there's some point when you go out of consciousness and you're no longer in control of anything around you. Because that's the real reality. You're not in control of a thing around you. You aren't a Sabbath, so you can think and contemplate and praise God that you do not have to work for your salvation. That you have a rest now and to praise the Lord that there is a rest to come. I want you to hear the invitation of Christ. Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we rest, we are recognizing the greatness of God's grace. That the work has been completed. Final point is to strive to rest. Uh, I, 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 I hope you've seen what we've done so far, right? Where God warns you about not finding rest in him. Then he invites you to rest, and now you're called to strive to rest. Now, I know the idea of striving to rest seems a bit odd, right? And, and truly, I, I do think most people don't even know where to begin when it comes to a, a biblical Sabbath. Um, so just some things that we've seen so far, right? Um, if, if, you want, if you realize, okay, I need to establish a Sabbath, because God tells me to. He tells me it's for my good, right? You don't serve the Sabbath. God made Sabbath to, for you, right? For your benefit. Um, so one thing you need to do is establish a day. You need to establish a day, a Sabbath day that's carved out for you and your family. Maybe it's Sunday. Maybe it's after corporate worship. It's after here and you, and you go home and, and you contemplate on the song sung or the scripture taught. And you do this personally and you do this together. Maybe it's a Saturday. But a day that's set aside. A day where you can slow down and reflect on truth and reflect on the word. 
And, and listen, I know this is difficult, but try to protect this day from extracurricular activities. I know we want all of our children to experience the funds of sports, but there's something longer and more eternal that I also want our children to experience and understand, and that is the rest of God. Secondly, enjoy your Sabbath. It was given to you, right? Christ is Lord over the Sabbath. It was a gift to you. Personally, I love writing stories. I mean, I love writing stories. I write, 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 write all the time. And no one ever reads them because it would be, I'm just I'm too self-conscious and embarrassed by it. But um, I, I love writing stories all day long. On my Sabbath, that's something I do every, I love writing. But also I love to cuddle with my kids and, and, and play board games and, and reflect on the Lord and, and, and make sure that in this time we thank him for the ability and the time to do this. Resting is not simply just idle hands. Understand that. It's a faith that makes a future reality right now. Heaven will not be boring. Heaven will not be lame. So neither does your Sabbath. Neither does your rest. It just needs to be Christ-centered, Christ-focused. And you, whatever you do, you eat, drink, and whatever you like, you do it for the glory of God. Let it be Christ-focused and let it be a part of that Sabbath. Listen, all work and no play makes Jack, what? A dull boy but also spiritually exhausted and dull and dead, bankrupt, tired, useless. Now the writer has more to say on how to strive for rest. Look at verse six through seven. It says, since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news fail to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words I've already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today. Last week, the writer employs you to start today. First step, right? Not to harden your heart. In areas where you've neglected to rest in the Lord, you need to repent of those things and rest in the Lord. You need to start with repentance. But also every day that is today, we must remind ourselves of God's providence. Every day returning to what we know is true, that our God lives, so we live. That our God is in control, so now we trust. Not to harden your heart means daily we submit our lives to Christ. Daily. Every day that is today. Daily we rejoice in our salvation. Daily we remind ourselves that he is overall. And daily we preach the gospel to ourselves. You need it, as do I, every day. That is today. Preach to yourself that you can rest in the work of Christ. Because it is rest for our souls. 11 through 12, it says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest 
so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. To strive means to avoid disobedience, which means we need to know what God wants. And how do we know what God wants? We look at his word. We study his word. And what does it say about his word? It's living, right? It's always relevant to you. It's active. It's always working in and on you. It cuts to the heart. It reveals doubt. It reveals sin. And it brings about reproof and correction. It reveals who you are and who God is. It shows us why we can trust, why we can rest, why we can charge the gates of hell, you and I, as messed up as we are, that you and I can charge the gates of hell having full confidence of the one who leads us. Christian, the person who feeds on the word will find rest. Let me say that again. I want you to really hear it. Feed on the word and you will find rest. Store up his word in your hearts and when trouble arises, you will be able to remind yourself of the good news that has reached you. Of what he says. But listen, if you don't, Let me give you a warning, because if you do not, if you don't strive to rest in the words of God, another's word will fill your mind. And like Adam, who believed the whisper that called into question the promise of God's rest, your ears will be tickled with lies that that you can find rest from somewhere within. Or that you can find rest in your works because simply God doesn't love you. You have to earn it. Lies, lies upon lies. And they will destroy your rest as it did Adam. Church, strive to rest. Believe in the promise of the Lord. You must know it. You must guard your heart and study his word. Really make it a priority. Listen, we can't fake it. We can fake it to one another. But the Lord knows our heart and he knows exactly where you find your hope and rest. Look at the final passage of today. 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He already knows where your hope is at if you're in disobedience. He knows where you're finding rest. And if not with Christ, it will be exposed. In this passage, right, it gives an image of a sacrifice laid out all exposed 
nothing to hide. Listen, you were called a living sacrifice. That's what you're called to be. Your life on the altar. And by God's grace, isn't it amazing that we can do that? And you can, you can say, there's nothing. I don't have to hold back anything from the Lord because I trust in him. Church Sabbath and rest. Rest is both a present reality and a future reality. It's a present reality in the sense that we know that our sins are forgiven and peace has been made on our behalf. And it's a future reality because there's a glorious day that awaits when we get to go home. For it is written, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I want you to hear this, of the future rest that awaits you for those who rest in the Lord. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. You can't even fathom what it will be like. When we sit around and go, man, is heaven going to have this or that? Am I going to be able to fish, throw a frisbee? What am I going to do? Talks about a city. I'm not a big fan of cities. Listen, you can't even imagine. You cannot even fathom the rest that awaits you. So praise the Lord and respond by resting today. Resting in him and our Lord. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.